Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Get the PhD podcast with me, Sammy. Me, Hannah. And me, Tom. This week we're going to be discussing and focusing on careers and jobs outside of academia after you graduate and finish with a PhD. This is going to include input from Chris Cornthwaite, who uh, specialises in uh, careers outside academia. Uh, we found him on Twitter through our uh, Twitter account for the podcast, and we've asked him some questions. He's answered them, so he's not actually here to speak with us, just to clarify that. It'd be a bit impossible. True. Well, not impossible, but it would It would be difficult. We don't have the facility to record that, unfortunately, at this moment in time, but we we do what we can with what we've got. We only so have three chairs for a start. Very true. We only have three chairs in the recording studio. But also, you know, he's in Canada, so it's quite difficult to do. If we did it over like a Skype, the audio just wouldn't be there and we didn't want to lose the sound quality. But yeah, so that's what we've got in uh, this week's episode. But first, how was your week, guys? Yeah, my week was really good, actually. I had a really lovely weekend full of stuff. Um, hockey, rugby, lots of that good stuff. And then this week's been pretty, pretty chill been productive phd week so i'm happy there hasn't been too much stress coming from you in the office this week i don't think no i don't think so it's been quite last week was quite full-on yeah i'm not even sure why i've forgotten already so it's that stressful clearly yeah i can't <laughs> remember why i think there was just a lot going on it was yeah. a school visit wasn't it hmm? it was your visit up to that other school oh yeah that was a bit of a that took a big chunk out of my week and then it was like playing catch-up well done, Tom. Brownie points something. for remembering. It didn't help that Tom <laughs> point for that. didn't help that Tom was slightly stressed la- last week as well with his ethics and his abstract and his article. Yeah, I think you two kind of bounced off each other a bit. <laughs> stress each other. Like I said, it made me feel like stressed. I wasn't doing much. Uh, right, you're not classing that as stress because that was lower level on the stress scale. Still stress. That was on the stress scale, but it wasn't anywhere near as far as we can get. <laughs> I say that's we pretty c- true. We can do better. So it's been <laughs> it's been a good week. Stay tuned next week. <laughs> How was your week, Tom? What have you been up to? Um, a lot less stress than usual. Finished um, an abstract I had to try and submit, and that was a big thing done and dusted for me. So since then, I've been back in my centre, just trying to finish writing up the first half of this paper, and yeah, just getting like the little jobs done. Feels nice. good to get some big ones out of the way. Good. What's it like? Email admin and reading the odd article, things like that. Yeah. Or do you not even count that? Yeah, I was about I to say, I think there's a, a differentiation between it. your little jobs and Tom's little jobs. Nothing wrong with it, just difference in definitions. Well, what's the difference? I think that Sammy would count anything that's productive because it's another thing off the list, isn't yeah. it? It's good. Like This goes back to his to-do list. Baby steps. It? Yeah, it does go back a bit to his to-do Baby steps. Yeah, baby steps, whereas you don't appreciate baby steps as much as Sammy does. Is that bad or good? Open to interpretation. You're probably more... Whatever works for you. <laughs> you take everything like with a pinch of salt at you. You're looking at me now like she being nice. I'm critical, she you should know this. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> um, so my week was, was okay. It pretty similar to both of you, not too stressful, slightly productive, just quite chilled out, yeah. Didn't get up to too much like you like like you did, Hannah, over the weekend, but just I chilled out busy. and didn't do too much. But yeah, it's been a good week. It's been a nice relaxed week. Seems like we're all in a good relaxed mood for this podcast. Normally it's a bit more of a a bit more stress coming into it because I think yeah, we're a bit relaxed true. more with mm-hmm. this one. Here's the jingle. Get the PhD. 
So, this week's episode of uh, Careers Outside Academia. I know that, Tom, you, uh, you've you been discussing this a little bit recently with us and kind of wanted to explore this a little bit in the podcast. Yeah, I just think when you're in uni especially, just everyone goes on about the jobs in academia and where you can end up in academia. Like even PhD inductions and stuff, talking to other students, everyone's considering where they're going to end up like later on. But I found that everyone just kept referring to uni, and like being a professor or being a lecturer or something like that. Mm-hmm. But in my head, I always wanted to keep options open and looking like going down a research route, like looking at working for private companies, doing research there, mm. maybe collaborating with unis and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's just like there's so many more possibilities that you just don't get to see and no one talks about. I think it's natural just because obviously you're, you're in a university, you're in that kind of surroundings, and naturally they're going to want to try and push you push you slightly towards coming back and mm-hmm. staying in that surrounding they're not gonna suggest all these different options no i know that's what i mean like yeah but just because them options are like the favored ones by the union or whatever i think it's still a duty to look at what the other jobs are like mm-hmm. let you know what research can actually do for you and then essentially what you can do for mm-hmm. research yeah of course like all the you stuff you can't do when you do your undergrad, there's loads of like you know careers fairs, careers meetings, and yeah. stuff like that. You've yeah. got the whole world out there, essentially, kind of made out to be. But with PhD, it's like academia, that's that's it, <laughs> and no one really talks about anything else. Yeah. That's kind of where this idea came from because I follow Chris, this guy who's going to give a bit more information in a minute. I follow him on Twitter, and I'm just really interested by his outlook on academia and how people are kind of not forced into doing. Um, not forced into being a professor after PhD, but almost kind of presumed to be doing that. Yeah. So I just thought it was really interesting. And I also don't actually know much about um, anything else really outside of teaching. So it'd be really good to see what suggestions he makes. It's yeah. Something you said the other day, it struck me. It was like with the ethics part, like you didn't know, like, what was it? Private researchers had to go through like ethics panels and get ethics. Yeah, and stuff. that was in um, Beera's like newsletter or something, wasn't yeah. it? British Education Research Association. Like, um, going through all yeah. of undergrad and not knowing like something like that just shows that you're sort of taught how a researcher works within a university. Yeah, yeah. like you don't see the whole other side of it. Yeah, and that's a massive issue. Like not having ethics board like through university being like an independent research or whatever. So the fact you don't even know about it is kind of quite started like imagine you found out at the end of your phd yeah you didn't see that newsletter mm. you went private research then you had no idea how to get ethics i presume they just did it through universities or that there was some kind of external board that dealt with that but it seems like it's not really the case that's the point though just <laughs> need more information yeah it all ties in really well especially with because i know i follow chris on twitter we follow him on through mm-hmm. the podcast twitter as well yeah and him and people in similar kind of careers and fields and are pushing for these kind of things they focus on being able to kind of almost transfer and repurpose the skills you get in a phd because like you say when you're in a phd it's almost academia mm-hmm. higher education teaching yeah. professor that kind of direction so when you take the things that you do in your research and throughout your phd you find it quite difficult to transfer them to other things mm. if that makes sense you kind of see it with only that end goal, no other options yeah. and things like that. So they kind of try and help people to think, well, what have you done on your PhD? Oh, well, you can actually use that skill or that mm, that yeah, thing that you've learned in this field as well. In It's quite a transferable thing like PhDs. You learn so many transferable well, th- skills. I, I don't like, think I'm people, surprised yeah. it's so... Yeah. Like, people don't 
kind of move out of academia more often. Not that there's anything wrong with academia. I mean, it's comfortable. It's a good job, well paid, etc. It's really yeah, of course. you have a real opportunity. But also, on the other hand, there is kind of still the world of jobs out there that suit your skills. So as Hannah said, she follows Chris Cornthwaite on Twitter. And uh, I realised that we follow him through the, the Get the PhD Twitter account. And because of the nature of the topic of uh, this this episode of the podcast, we didn't feel like we had enough information to kind of give to the listeners mm-hmm. about getting a career or finding a career that you could have outside of academia. As we said, it's not really spoken about that much when you're doing a PhD, especially when you're at a university that kind of wants to push you in towards teaching in higher education and lecturing. So we've asked Chris Cornthwaite some questions and here are his answers. Okay, this is for Sammy, Hannah, and Tom at Get the PhD Podcast. I'm going to answer a few questions about non-academic work, and I'm privileged to be able to do so. So without further ado, let's go. So first, Chris is just going to introduce himself and give a bit of context to what he does. So my name is Chris Cornthwaite. I live in Ottawa, Canada, where right now we are still pretty much in winter. There's still a lot of snow on the ground, although it's starting to melt. I run a company called Think House along with my wife, Carolyn. Um, I do a lot of research and policy work, and she does graphic design and creative outputs for the company. Um, When I came to Ottawa, I had worked for a think tank running projects. I worked for the government, helping other countries uh, figure out how to do refugee programs. So I had a background in policy analysis, um, international policy work. And then I um, then I just recently founded my own company. So it's been really great so far. I'm living the entrepreneurial life. There are a lot of challenges, um, but also it's really rewarding. Now, the other part of what I do, which is maybe more interesting to your listeners, is I run a blog called roostervane.com. That's exactly what it sounds like, roostervane, which is like a weather vane, but with a rooster. And the blog is dedicated to help PhD students figure out how to build great careers outside of academia. Along with that, I hang out on Twitter quite a bit too, and I do some YouTubing, um, hopefully more to come, Instagram. I kind of work across the different platforms, but really my goal in everything that I do is to share, um, to share in a really accessible way how to build a career outside of academia with your PhD. All right, so the first question we wanted to ask was what are the main sectors of possible careers outside of academia? That's a super interesting question. It's a really good question. Unfortunately, it's almost impossible to answer because you can work anywhere with a PhD. I mean, most of my work has been in the public policy world, which has kind of spanned between think tanks and governments. Um, I've worked a lot with people who work in what are called national associations in Canada, which is like the national headquarters for an association that has members spread out across the country, and they usually do research and policy and some lobbying work. Um, I've bumped up against politics a little bit, where I found people like me working in um, offices for MPs, uh, members of parliament in Canada, uh, for senators, for cabinet ministers. Um, So really in Ottawa, that's the kind of economy we have. But I also, I mean, I also meet people working in startups. I meet people um, now with Roosterbane, especially, I'm meeting more and more people further afield. So I meet people who work in Silicon Valley. I w- meet people who work in the government in the States. I meet people who work for all sorts of different things. So it's really hard to nail down a couple specific sectors outside of academia. 
Um, really, it's just, uh, yeah, the sky's the limit. You can do anything. I mean, Rachel Maddow has a PhD. So really, I think the only limit is your imagination. That's kind of a really interesting response. Almost what I kind of expected, like with the government kind of policy side of things. It's quite hard to kind of define that, I imagine, that kind of area. It's a bit almost wishy-washy. Like yeah. you work for the government or like on programs. So I kind of imagined that. Um, and with reference to here in the UK, mm. I mean, we can't speak for all universities across the UK, but we don't really tend to have many people on zero-hour contracts or anything like that here in Cardiff Met. I mean, yeah. It's mostly kind of salaried lecturers who... In terms of saying, like, maybe feeling like, air quotations, like, exploited mm-hmm. or, like, used. I don't I, think I, that's I see case. things on Twitter, but I feel like it's more of a international thing rather than a UK yeah. thing, I think. There have been protests around the UK, but There have been not, strikes, but yeah, I don't know whether they're related to... Here like in Cardiff, this. Matt, I don't think we've got a massive problem with, you know, zero-hour contracts or, like, not regular working hours. It seems that people are on salaries. Yeah. And if people need to come in that have got different expertise, then they're paid at the guest lecture rate. Yeah. And then also as PhD students, we're given the opportunity but that's alongside our research, so obviously yeah. we wouldn't be asking for full-time hours. Yeah. Maybe that's kind of where it's come about, though, people who aren't funded, who do actually need the full-time hours. Perhaps that's kind of where the protest is from. Maybe. I'm not 100% sure. I yeah. d- I'm not schooled up enough on it to no, be able to make comment really. on the strikes. Yeah. It's just one of those things where I think it's something where it's almost like having a trust with your supervisor because I know that my supervisor is quite good at getting me opportunities, but making yeah. sure that they're cho- opportunities that work for me. And I guess that's kind of, we're a smaller scale university, so that can happen. Yeah. Whereas in, you know, some of the big universities, supervisors have got too many um, yeah. researchers to be able to allocate hours to everyone. So maybe that's kind of why it works here. So the second question we asked was, what do you view as the main benefits of getting a career outside of academia? You know, it's funny for me, the main benefit was just getting a paycheck. I didn't really have the option of staying in academia. Um, And I see the next question is about why I left academia in the first place. So I'll maybe answer two in one. I didn't have an academic job. I mean, I certainly tried really hard. I applied to a bunch. um, And I kind of got to the place where I could have fallen back into the cycle of adjuncting and visiting professorships and uh, postdocs that a lot of PhDs get into. Um, I just wasn't really in a place in my life where I could do that. And I decided that I kind of looked down the road at where people were at, um, who had done a little bit more education than me and were further on in their career. And I realized it wasn't going anywhere. I mean, I, I looked at the people who were like three, four, five years out from me and they were still doing visiting, um, professorships or they were still doing postdocs or if, uh, I don't think I knew of a single person who had left and gotten a tenure track job, which was what I wanted. So I kind of came to the conclusion that it was it was inevitable that I had to leave academia. So that's, I guess, what motivated me. I wasn't initially motivated by the options that I had. Um, that kind of came later. So once I got out and I realized how much you could do with a PhD, that's when I got really excited by the possibilities. And that's when I started Roosterman as well. But at first, I think my motivation was just to, just to have a steady income and uh, not to be taken advantage of as an adjunct professor. But coming back to the question of the main benefits of getting a career outside of academia, I mean, mine, as I say, mine was pushed by desperation, but I was surprised by the amount of impact I could have outside of academia. Even now, I work with other countries helping set up refugee programs, and that's an impact that I never had in my PhD. My PhD was in ancient history, like I wasn't doing that kind of stuff. So 
I think the impact has been huge in terms of benefits. Um, frankly, the salary is kind of nice. It's kind of nice to get paid what you're worth. Um, not everybody who leaves academia makes great money, but um, just kind of both from uh, the research I've done and also from some of the Twitter polls I've done too and people I talk to that I know that there are a lot of PhDs who do really well outside of academia financially, better than they would inside. Um, now, I don't know as much about the UK, so I'll leave that up to you guys to speak to, but um, I know it's certainly the case in Canada and the US. Um, benefits outside of academia, I talk to tenure-track ta- tenure professors who are bored out of their skull, believe it or not. It's funny because everyone wants to get a tenure-track job. Um, And I think one of the neat things about a career outside of academia is that the sky's the limit. I mean, you can just start and build the world you want to build. There's usually a steep learning curve for PhDs to understand how the world actually works. But once you learn how, once you learn how to become a world creator, you can do almost anything. And that's pretty cool. I mean, just to look at problems and look at things that you'd like to change in the world or things that you think should be there that aren't there and you can build them. So I think um, those are some of the main benefits of getting a career outside of academia. So one of the things that I've not really considered my PhD and my research is actually kind of impacts I can have in other other areas. And if I could take it somewhere else, technology is everywhere. So the fact that I'm looking at technology, although it's got an educational spin on it, it could be applied in other areas and that kind of skill set can be put into other pieces of research. I've just never considered it. And it's something that it's almost switch me on to the fact that if I actually open my eyes a bit, I could see other opportunities in the future. Mm-hmm. I think what Chris said then about having benefits outside academia, I guess that kind of depends on what you're doing as a PhD researcher and whether continuing research in that area as a professor would still have um, positive outcomes for society. Yeah. So for example, like mine being about dyslexia and Tom's alternative education, they're quite really... Um, under research, would you say? I don't know if it's under research, but just research isn't in the right place, is the way I see it. Yeah, yeah, like that's so much more can be done. Mm-hmm. And like, I've always thought about like, why else could this research help out and so on, but no one can go like internationally or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just extra little bits like that just make you think like the scale of what you can do. Yeah, and I think the key bit with ours is it's kind of bridging that gap between academia and actually the settings that are delivering this provision. So if you can kind of keep that going within academia, especially for us, then I kind of do see that it will have positive benefits and you'll have that kind of satisfaction from your job. But I can completely see how some academic academic positions don't have that. Uh, what's kind of what's the word for it? Like life development, like positive development from it. Yeah, that makes sense. So we also wanted to know what's the main piece of advice you would give to someone considering a career outside of academia. I would say make lots of friends with everybody you can. Talk to everybody you can who's in any career. I don't even care. Like I considered a career as a realtor for a while, selling houses, and I'm kind of glad that didn't ultimately happen. But who knows? It might have been interesting. <laughs> but the point is, is I was I was kind of open-minded enough to consider anything that came my way. So you don't really know what you're going to find that's going to click and is going to make you really happy. Um, in terms of your career. So I would talk to everybody. I would do uh, really intentional networking and I do some guides and advice on how to do that on uh, on my website on roosterbane.com. I would say too, to give some thought to the types of skills you have that can transfer into the real world. Um, of course, like research and writing and all those are really good skills. Um, it can be worth building additional skills on the side. You might want to learn finance. You might want to learn how to work with uh, with, with data if you don't already. 
but really just as much as you can do to get out into the world and explore and see what's out there. That's it. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And if you're connecting with people along the way, you're going to do just fine when it comes to leave the PhD. And if you have to leave academia, you'll be fine too, because you'll know what you want to do and you'll know what your options are. That was a great bit of advice. I think that's something that's drilled into us as PhD students as well, is to just network, 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 whether that's relevant to your PhD or not, I think it's a really important thing. So, I yeah. I it's drilled in the same way, though. Like, when we start looking at conferences, we immediately start going to specific. Like, yeah. the ones I was looking at were yeah. alternative education conferences or education solely. It's not looking at any sort of conferences to network with anyone. Mm-hmm. And even, like, looking at training and development. Like, I've always looked at stuff that will develop myself in the project to try and make the PhD look better. Yeah. Even going to something like a quant workshop or something, just to keep them skills, like, maintained or learn new ones yeah ask me something to help you when you leave yeah but even if you think of like Bira or Biza like the different types of academic people that go and um, educational people that go there there is still quite a bit of variation to network between like teachers and head teachers like I suppose it's quite important then to kind of have almost a broader mindset in terms of your development throughout your PhD if you're looking at conferences to go to always try and consider maybe going to like one every now and then that's a bit maybe outside your comfort zone or your research area just something that like you say it can almost make you consider something else or Mm -hmm. network with someone else i think that'll be extremely beneficial for like how like different research methods and kind of integrating topic areas like i know sports for example use lots of like analysis software but that can really be used in education so i think doing stuff like that will benefit your research um as well as maybe your postgraduate. Yeah, I think like even the research seminars that we hold here at Cardiff Met on a mm. Wednesday. Yeah. They're only an hour, but I sometimes look at them and think, oh, I don't know if that would really relate to what I'm doing. And I always come away with at least one or two things where I'm like, actually, that really makes sense. Or oh, I yeah. could consider that. And it's, it kind it's of just those little snippets that can really help. A bit wider. But yeah. ne- networking as well, it's just, it's kind of almost about being familiar and being a familiar face within it's difficult to say almost like your community because you Mm -hmm. don't want to limit yourself to just that small specific area that you're researching but being a familiar face i i'm quite big on being like on social media twitter Mm -hmm. especially there's a big community of educators and phd students and academia in general on twitter and just trying to be somebody who someone at some point may kind of know from that or have seen some of your tweets and some of your content you never know when it kind of crosses over like I can think of the most unusual situations where someone said something to me about something I've tweeted and I'm like oh hang on I didn't realize that that would kind of be of your interest and then it kind of crosses over and you get something from it normally so yeah I agree okay so the last question we asked Chris was what steps would you suggest taking during your PhD to ensure a better chance of getting a job outside of academia? I think it's it's what I've already said, really. It's you you need to network. Like networking is really big. I, I don't think I can stress it enough. Honestly, it's hard to explain to people just how vital it is. But PhDs don't look all that good on paper. Um, a lot of us don't have a lot of practical experience, which is what employers are looking for. So one of the best ways to do it is to find an employer or find somebody connected to an employer who will get to know you a little bit and kind of come to admire you as an individual and recognize that you've got some potential. You just need a chance. And somebody's going to give you that chance if they know you, but it's unlikely that they're going to give you that chance just looking at you on paper. So it's just kind of the way the world works. I mean, networking is really important. 
And for so many PhDs, working on a resume feels like you're accomplishing something. And I'm not saying not to do a resume, or I guess in the UK, I believe it's just a CV. Um, so working on your resume or CV feels like you're doing something. It feels productive. But it's those informational interviews and those networks uh, that are really going to open up your world. So build your network above all else. Other than that, um, I already mentioned transferable skills, trying to build some skills on the side. One other thing you can do is think about how your research maps into the real world. So for example, I was working in ancient history, um, but I started to work more in immigration theory along with my ancient history work. So I ended up, yeah, my, my thesis, if you, if you were to read it, and I don't suggest you do, talks about um, immigrants in antiquity. Um, but that really gave me a nice bridge to working in uh, working on immigrant issues in the modern world. And I was reading a lot of the same publications as I do now and working in a lot of the same kind of terminology, even though I wasn't actually um, working in modern day until I started working for the government of Canada, working on immigration. So that's some, something that can be really kind of neat, too, is to kind of think about how your research can translate um, and to start preparing yourself to make that transition. So yeah, I completely agree with what Chris is saying about um, networking. Like, yes, have a CV, but you're more than just what's on paper. I'm kind of a big believer in that because I think I can sell myself in person a lot more than I can on a piece of paper. I'm absolutely hopeless at CVs. Um, so yeah, I think that definitely is really important. I think maybe as um, being British, that's something we're not necessarily bad at, but I think we definitely do it in a different way than... America, Canada. Um, I definitely think we're slightly different in the way we network. Um, I don't know if you guys agree with I that. I think, but I think in terms of, I don't think people are out, out as outgoing or maybe, maybe as as conscious of the fact of thinking, oh, I could go and speak to that person. Mm. I think I think it maybe is a different culture of seizing every opportunity and almost seeing the value in if I go and speak yeah. to that person, something could come out of it. Whereas normally. In in Britain, I think it's I more. I think it's of our a, mannerisms, isn't it? I think it's more of just a kind of. You just don't. You just don't do it. I don't know it, why. You do, but you do it quite in a subtle way. Like if yeah. you went across to someone and kind of obviously were networking, I think people would be a bit taken aback being British. Maybe yeah. feel like oh, they're being a bit full on. But I think that's just our mannerisms. We network in a really subtle way. I mean, in my experience, anyway. So yeah, and what Chris was saying about uh, seeing your research in the real world, I think we kind of covered that a little bit, but that's definitely something that I would really like to think about, how I could kind of make a career outside academia, but with what I'm doing still. I know Tom's kind of has that potential also, as we've discussed. Change my opinion on networking as well, I think. Yeah? Okay. Like when you're going to conferences and stuff, I always thought about who's going to be useful towards your project, who you're going to want to try and like, help disseminate your work or put new ideas into your work mm-hmm. but as you said employees are looking at your personal characteristics at the end of the day they're going to like you and think you're an asset to the company so if you're looking to work outside of academia you want to highlight your personal abilities as well as what your project is going to do yeah like you said about your resume being a piece of paper that's essentially what your phd is mm-hmm. yeah it'll develop yeah, skills true. and things but as well as your professional development your phd is important for your personal development as well like showing how like maybe empathetic or something you can be on top of doing all of this work. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. how attuned you are to yourself is going to be highly important when you are networking. It's not just how much you know about your PhD. Like mm-hmm. thinking back to seminars we've attended, we've been asked to um, explain our projects to people, but we've never been asked to explain ourselves to people. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really true. That's deep. I, know, I, like I, I agree with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're saying personal characteristics are the important yeah. part, and they are when you're networking. Yeah. yeah. That's the bits that people are going to see. It also links back to that other thing of speaking to the most unusual people will sometimes actually bring about something really useful in your field of work, yeah, yeah. like with the sports um, analytics stuff. So, yeah, super interesting. <laughs> So that's it. Those are my answers to the questions. I wish all of your listeners the very best of luck as you are working on your PhDs and maybe thinking about leaving academia, maybe not. But one way or another, I hope you find what makes you happy and get to devote your life to it. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at roostervane.com, which is my website. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, You can find videos on YouTube too under Roostervane. So um, hopefully I'll see you soon and take care. Have a great day so procrastination of the week uh last week we had birthday celebrations from hannah office tennis from myself including julian and parking ticket from tom and having to deal with the parking ticket change the registration plate and so on so we put this to a twitter poll as usual and we got 90 votes this week um so in last place drum roll please with twenty percent of the vote is parking ticket. Sorry, Tom. That's more than Aww. I thought. Unfortunate. It's on, Sammy Chapman. It's on. So second place with thirty-seven percent of the vote is birthday celebrations. Oh, no one cares about your birthday. People, you people week. didn't buy the sympathy vote. What was the percent? Thirty-seven. Yeah. So okay. in first place with a whopping forty-three percent. It's actually quite close. I wouldn't call it a whopping. Oh, no, it's actually quite close. (laughs) Is office tennis, which I'm quite surprised by, because if you read office tennis, I don't really, I wouldn't be able to imagine what that means. So that puts this week's points total on Tom in last place with two points. Last place procrastinating, first place for hardworking. That's true. Uh, But we don't give points for hard work. No, because you've contributed to procrastination every week, so you procrastinate just as much. It just hasn't been as good. They're little ones. That's very true. Not necessarily. They're little ones. Hannah is in second place with three points, and moving clear at the top is me with five points. So, what's your procrastination of the week this time? For a bit of context, there's no smugness on Sammy's face then for being in the lead, (laughs) was there? I don't know. We haven't haven't said anything about prizes at the end of this, but, you know... I'm sure I'll have something to. You know, there's got to be something. When you're losing. Oh yeah, true. <laughs> no, I'm not losing. I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. <laughs> so, I had the procrastination of the week. Yeah. I've asked you both to remind me what it was, and you've let me down, so I feel betrayed. But I come up with another one. Okay. So whatever it was, I can't remember. That's gone. Couldn't have been that good. It was good, but I don't remember good things as well as bad. So you know. Okay. But anyway, I spent a lot of this week doing my ethics form as procrastination from doing my paper. So my procrastination from doing work is doing different work. That's slow motion multitasking. That's kind of, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of a thing. Yeah, I, mean, I can... I just really couldn't sit down and write. So I thought, okay, I'm going to read instead. Yeah, it's like when I do my little jobs, like my admin and my emails and stuff, it's still doing stuff, but I put off that big job, yeah. I, yeah. I get what you mean. So it's, it's like I was hiding from my paper by doing yeah. my ethics. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that's quite good. That's mine. I think that's a decent one. Yeah, well, I, I think that might get some appreciation on Twitter in the poll as well. We yeah. put out a tweet through ac- at Academic Chatter and had the, some replies of people's suggestions of how they procrastinate. And quite a lot of them were still doing work, but 
avoiding the big job or kind of delaying having to do a really big daunting task. See, the thing was, I was telling myself, it's not procrastinating because it needs to get done. Yeah. But when you've been doing it for so long, it hits you at one point like, yeah, I am procrastinating now. Yeah. But it doesn't stop. You just keep going. Yeah, exactly. So, Hannah, what's your procrastination of the week? Um, I've got a new game on my phone, which has taken up some of my time. And Sammy actually came over to show me his new game, which also resulted in more procrastination. So my game is called Cooking Diary. And you just basically run a restaurant. And Sammy's game is an awful game where people slap each other. Are you taking my game as your procrastination? I'm taking of the week? my game as my procrastination, but it was magnified by you also showing me your game and installing more procrastination. It sounds like his game was really important to your no. procrastination. No. Slap Kings no. is a brilliant game. Have you ever <laughs> have you ever seen a little bit off topic, but Hannah has never seen the slapping competitions. Have you seen slapping competitions? Like really? in like I think it's mainly like Russia, like Eastern Europe. I've seen someone slap someone. If People that's what like you mean. they're actually no, but it's actually like it's a competition. Like you hold the table, the other person has both hands on the table, can't move, and you slap them as hard as you can. It's almost like and a it's sport. basically until one knocks the other out. So it's it's basically slapping competitions. But in this game, it's literally that you just slap people, and you like you can build up your health and your strength and so on. It's it's a brilliant game. So my procrastination of the week actually involves a bit of theft. Yeah, I can see my name written that down there. That I'm that <laughs> I'm I'm not proud to admit, but I'm also proud to admit. So oh, okay. Basically, um, as we know, Julian's computer laptop broke. Oh yeah. Well, he's he's still in the process of trying to fix it and salvage his work, but he wanted to know where your big hard drive thing was. I don't know, yeah. like your storage yeah. bank thing. So I went over to your desk just to like see if it was like on your desk. If it was there, then I'd be like, oh, it's here, but wouldn't take it. No, but I spotted your box of uh, cleaning wipes. <laughs> oh, so no, they are gone. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not, no, like about six of them. And I, I was like, oh, I was like, I was like, no, just one, no, six. <laughs> I, I was really trying to procrastinate and I saw the box and I went, because I, I, I've, I've been looking at my Mac keyboard and I've been thinking, oh, I could do with a clean. And I thought, actually, would they do the job? So I took one, did it a bit, and it got everything off, and it looks brand new. So I spent about an hour cleaning my Mac keyboard until it looks brand new with Tom's stolen cleaning wipes. You're really unstressed, Wow! Well, right, there is absolutely no reason why you should win this week. If you win, nah, I'm not why? having it. Because A, you're promoting theft. If <laughs> I win, I'll give Tom half of the point. Okay. There we go. <laughs> That's all. What? Uh-huh. Bribery. Unfair. That's a Monopoly-type <laughs> deal right there. <laughs> So that was my procrastination of the week. It took me about an hour, hour and a half to clean my oh Mac my keyboard. Um, oh, there was there was a lot on there, and it was it was really good. And I had to get in between all the buttons and stuff. Um, Sorry, it can't last for an hour. It's a little wet wipe. No, but I had to do each button six, and six the bits in between, and yeah. If you want some wow, back, I've still got some say. in my drawer in my desk. If you want them back. <laughs> Okay, guys, so thank you for listening to episode 11 of Get the PHT. And also a special thank you to Chris for being part of the podcast. And we'll see you again next week. Bye. Bye.